Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode, a problematic patch for Windows 11 has been confirmed by Microsoft. Also, VMware's EUC division has a buyer. And Wi-Fi 7 is being tested in a Windows Canary build. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast which as always is brought to you by my awesome sponsors. And that includes Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And the podcast is also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And the podcast is also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. KKR have offered $4 billion to buy the VMware end-user computing division business whole, keeping its leadership as well as its staff, according to CRN.com. The division will operate as a standalone company. If you're not familiar with KKR, they're a pretty huge equity firm who also owns Coral, which for those who listen to the podcast regularly may recall, Coral actually acquired Parallels a few years ago before they were acquired by KKR themselves, which makes it interesting that KKR is attempting to buy what is essentially a competing product stack. I'll come back to this idea in a few moments because I do have some thoughts on it. But some of the other information about the acquisition attempt includes the fact that KKR is promising to expand research and development, pursue new strategic partnerships, and invest in employee ownership, which they say is a model that they apply across their organizations. KKR said the EUC division will become a standalone company with what it called greater access to growth capital and a dedicated strategic focus on providing customers and partners innovative digital workspace solutions. And I did see that some former VMware employees, I believe in the EUC division as well, were posting on Twitter saying that this is the best possible outcome for the EUC division. So it seems like there's a pretty positive reaction online at least. And the deal is expected to close in 2024, subject to regulatory approvals and customary closing conditions. So back to the fact that KKR currently owns Parallels. Well, you may recall a few weeks ago on the podcast, I covered the fact that Parallels actually launched their own uh, desktop as a service offering. So they had obviously the RAS product, which is like their on-premises published applications, uh, VDI type solution. And recently they launched a DAS offering. Uh, Well, if you think about it, well, that product stack is going to overlap or compete with VMware. Now, KKR saying that the VMware EUC division is going to be handled as a standalone company, but nevertheless, it's going to be under the umbrella of this KKR equity firm that also owns Parallels. So I was trying to think is like, well, what's going to happen with Parallels then? Like in the CRN.com article that's like broken into multiple different pieces, uh, they seem to paint a narrative that they're keeping the staff for the EUC division. Hopefully, 
that doesn't mean that they're going to trim staff in parallels because they see this as overlapping. I assume not because they're going to treat this as a standalone company and presumably then parallels is not going to be affected by how this company is run. Uh, but then how are they going to position the product stacks of both? Perhaps parallels is going to be the offering that they push at smaller firms. So you know how VMware was starting to basically cut the legs off from underneath their partners. And it seems like they're taking on large customers for themselves. Well, maybe with KKR taking over the UC division, they see the VMware product stack being aimed towards their customers who are on the medium to large size of the scale. And then perhaps Parallels is going to be aimed at the smaller size customers. That's just a theory uh, that's not stated anywhere. And this acquisition has not even formally closed yet. But that's just kind of an idea that I was having of how these two product stacks can live side by side. I mean, another possibility is that perhaps they sell off parallels to a different company, but that remains to be seen. And I reference CRN.com for this story. And usually when there's an acquisition or business related topic, if I see CRN as a source, I gravitate towards them. But as is usually the case, I cross-referenced with other sources for this story, including TechCrunch.com, Business Insider, and the official KKR announcement. But I found CRN's narrative on this very interesting. They seem to position this acquisition against Citrix and even had a section that I interpreted as them waving a stick at Citrix for its layoffs, while VMware's EUC staff will be kept on. And not only that, but KKR has a unique employee ownership model that staff will benefit from, which is also called out in CRN's article. So it's almost like, hey, look, VMware and KKR are ensuring that the UC division staff are going to be taken care of, and it's actually going to be great for them, and it's going to be great for this division, which is something, of course, they would say. But at the same time, they're saying, oh, but look how Citrix handled that acquisition. Uh, isn't that terrible? And to paint themselves in a positive light against a negative light for Citrix, which, hey, you know, they are very competing product stacks and companies in this regard. So maybe it makes sense to do that. I think it's a little bit of a low shot. CRN carried multiple different quotes from partners, too, with some seemingly taken out of context, at least from the way I read them, and aligned with CRN's own narrative. It's not in itself unusual for outlets to do this, but often, at least in my experience of doing this podcast, CRN just regurgitates official press releases from companies with only a little bit of extra context, whereas this time, it seems like a multi-part saga has been published related to this acquisition attempt, and I find that odd. They really try to paint this as a positive and go to great lengths to do that. It does make me wonder if there's some aspect of this being damage control to appease existing customers so they don't jump ship before the acquisition can be complete. That's just an opinion. That's not a fact. Also concerning was some omissions in this statement, like the most pressing question customers will have, as pointed out by my friend James in our group chat, what's going to happen with the licensing on the hypervisor end for Horizon customers? That has not been answered. Maybe that's not that surprising since, again, this acquisition has not been closed. But if I was an existing customer using Horizon and I'm reading this thinking, oh, well, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Maybe I'll give this a chance. 
well, I wouldn't want to be facing into the unknown in regards to the actual hypervisor and how the stack is going to continue to be licensed. Patch issue alert for Windows 11 22H2 and 23H2. Bleepacomputer.com reports that those experiencing issues with the recent Windows updates on Windows 11 are experiencing that the process stops when downloading at 96% and users may see the dreaded something didn't go as planned, no need to worry, undoing changes, please keep your computer on message. They also see a 0x800F0922 error in their Windows event logs. Until a fix is available, Microsoft provided a temporary solution for impacted customers, requiring them to delete the C slash dollar WinRE agent hidden folder. And after deleting the folder, restarting your machine, and then you'll be able to correctly install the February 2024 security updates. So not an ideal solution because it's quite a manual fix right now. And presumably Microsoft will provide a permanent solution in time, uh, but they're currently investigating. BleepyComputer.com has reported multiple stories about Lockbit in the last few days, including that they have around $110 million worth of Bitcoin unspent sitting in a wallet. The fact that even two days after their operation was at least temporarily shut down, ransomware attacks from them continued, and the fact they apparently created a new encryptor before they were breached, plus that they have already relaunched the ransomware operation on a new infrastructure less than a week after law enforcement hacked their servers, and they are threatening to focus more of their attacks on the government sector. So this was spread across like three different stories by bleepcomputer.com and I saw Ars Technica and other outlets had even more information about Lockbit. Not surprising given the story from last week, there's a lot more attention on them. But in a post that the gang themselves published, they admitted that personal negligence and irresponsibility led to law enforcement disrupting their activity. As a result, they have lost their original leak site, but have set up a new .onion site so it certainly did not take long for them to get back up and running. And as at least one source suggested, the, their attacks actually continued even while they were down. So it was but a flesh wound, I guess. In an interesting move, this week, the White House Office of the National Cyber Director urged tech companies to switch to memory-safe programming languages such as Rust to improve software security by reducing the number of memory safety vulnerabilities. For regular listeners to this podcast, you will know that I cover the fact Microsoft has been replacing some of its code base in Windows with Rust code. Other vendors may also start planning to use Rust in the future off the back of these recommendations. LeapyComputer.com has reported that Microsoft has begun to force installing Windows 11 23H2 on eligible PCs. This move is shortly after Microsoft removed a block on some machines from being able to upgrade to the version. This should not directly impact enterprise customers, but it is worth being aware of for those who support remote workers using their own devices. You know, if they report a sudden issue, perhaps it's because their machine upgraded to the latest version and something went wrong. Microsoft has already started testing Wi-Fi 7 with Windows 11 Insider Preview Build 26063. 
With the latest Wi-Fi version, you can get multi-gigabit speeds on your PC and experience up to four times faster speeds than Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E and close to six times faster than Wi-Fi 5. Microsoft themselves highlighted that Wi-Fi 7 has extremely high throughput and is a revolutionary technology that offers unprecedented speed, reliability, and efficiency for your wireless devices. It seems to me like this is happening pretty quickly after Wi-Fi 6. It doesn't seem like Wi-Fi 6 has had widespread adoption yet, uh, but this is a positive because if this actually picks up speeds on Wi-Fi to get full like gigabit per second download speeds, that's going to be pretty amazing. The FTC in the US has fined Avast, who makes popular security products, about $16.5 million after they found the company was collecting users' browser information between 2014 to 2020 and then selling it to more than 100 companies through a since-shuttered entity known as JumpShot. Avast acquired JumpShot in 2014 and billed it as an analytics seller, but according to Ars Technica, that while Avast and JumpShot claimed that the data collected by JumpShot had identifying information removed, the FTC argued that this was not sufficient. Home Depot, Google, Microsoft, Pepsi, and McKinsey were among those 100 companies buying data from JumpShot. Avast is owned by Gen Digital, which is a firm that contains Norton, Avast, LifeLock, Avira, AVG, CCleaner, and Reputation Defender, among other security businesses. So they're a pretty major entity outside of the major players, you know. Actually, Norton used to be a pretty major player themselves. AVG have had their reputation hit quite a bit in recent years. But this is like a conglomerate, basically, of once large security vendors. It's interesting that Avast took the measures to completely shut down JumpShot as this came to light back in 2020. ChatGPT had an odd issue in the middle of last week with users reporting that the service would start to answer their question or prompt as normal, but after a few sentences, the service would descend into random Shakespearean gibberish. A Reddit user asked ChatGPT, what is a computer? Pretty simple prompt. And the service responded, quote, It does this as the good work of a web of art for the country, a mouse of science, an easy draw of a sad few, and finally, the global house of art, just in one job and the total rest. The development of such an entire real then land of time is the depth of the computer as a complex character, end quote. Insert that Simpsons meme of Krusty the Clown. What the hell was that? OpenAI responded to reports of this issue, saying that on February 20th, an optimization to the user experience introduced a bug with how the model processes language. Large language models generate responses by randomly sampling words based in part of, on probabilities. Their language consists of numbers that map to tokens. In this case, the bug was in the step where the model chooses these numbers. Akin to being lost in translation, the model chose slightly wrong numbers, which produced word sequences that made no sense. More technically, inference kernels produced incorrect results when used in certain GPU configurations. Upon identifying the cause of this incident, we rolled out a fix and confirmed that the incident was resolved. So based on the Reddit post, it seemed like the, the incident, as it's being referred to, did go on for several hours but it was resolved. 
And finally, in a less serious story to wrap it up for this week, there was an outrage from customers who attended a Willy Wonka-themed event called Willy's Chocolate Experience in Glasgow, Scotland. The event organizers appeared to use AI-generated images for advertising the event, which made it look pretty good, but the reality was grim. When people showed up for the experience that cost £35 per ticket according to Ars Technica, they found a sparsely decorated room with underwhelming displays and a tiny bouncy castle. In one photo shared, a rainbow arch leads to a single yellow gummy bear and gumdrops sitting on a bare concrete floor. It is really depressing. If you're listening to the audio-only version of the podcast, you can see pictures of this on the YouTube edition, which you'll find at 5 for episode 232. Uh, otherwise, go find the story for yourself because you want to see these images. The organizers began offering refunds after attendees complained and called the police. And according to Sky News, a spokesman for the company over the event said, quote, We are devastated at how this has turned out and understand people's anger and frustration that everyone has had. But hey, that experience sucked for them, but at least they gave me a nice story to end this week's episode on. Uh, But now, this week's scripts, tricks, and tips. First up this week, the awesome Tom Fenton published an article on how to use PowerShell to view and change Dell BIOS settings. So it is an article, but obviously it contains useful commandlets. So if you're a Dell user, you want to check this out. Also this week, I saw Trevor Tai had published a YouTube video on EnvisionWare 3.7 e-commerce server setup. So it might be a little bit niche, uh, but I like when people do this kind of prescriptive uh, step-by-step guide, particularly in video. I used to love when Ron Oglesby was at uh, Unidesk and for every single version, he would go through the setup fresh and record it as a video because that way there's nothing left out. Uh, It's nothing can be left for interpretation. You're seeing it happening. So if you're required to set up or use EnvisionWare 3.7 e-commerce server, there's a video out here that's going to be awesome for you. And finally, Thorsten shared some evergreen content, a blog post that goes through types of passwords that are bad ideas to use. And that includes things like lyrics to songs, famous quotes, and more. So I always kind of throw in these security related topics that could be useful for not just IT pros, but just like regular people who need to use computers and websites and accounts and stuff like that, which is everyone. So this could be useful for even the non-techie people in your life. Well, that's it for this episode of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening.